Welcome to Gold and Great, telling Asian American stories from the gold rush to the gold open. What's up, everybody? This is Josh, and welcome to the show. Before we get started, I want to just give a quick shout-out. Uh, our national organization, Collaboration, which houses our SF Bay Area chapter, just hired a new global executive director, and so Jane Kim, glad to have you. Welcome to the fam. And, you know, if you're not already following Collab on your socials, get on that. Um, you can follow at Collaboration on Facebook, Twitter, Insta, all the things. Um, yeah, hop on that. Uh, something else I'm really excited about here at Collab SF, we are finishing up final touches. We're, I guess, in the plating process now uh, of our event, Collab Scramble. It's happening this weekend, Saturday, October 24th, starting at 1 p.m., you know, I want to give a strict end time, but, you know, we're going to be going to round four or five. It's it's live, so you never really know what can happen. Uh, it's hosted by one of our really talented and funny staff members, Annie Yang, um, and TikToker Caleb Joe. Um, so you're, you're not going to want to miss that. Uh, we're at twitch.tv slash collab SF. Uh, a lot of really beautiful graphics have been coming out for this, uh, but we're, we're doing this charity stream event uh, and putting on a bunch of music and dance performances, um, showcasing art, all of all of that creativity coming from folks in our network, uh, right here in our CollabSF community, uh, plus food challenges. I think there's going to be something where if if you donate, um, our friend Long is going to be eating some really terrifying stuff. Uh, so you're not going to want to miss it. Uh, again, Saturday, October 24th, starting at 1 p.m. If you donate during the event, uh, you're going to get a 20% discount code from Teaspoon, uh, which is such a fun boba place. Uh, was introduced to it by my friend Emily uh, many years back. Shout out to her. And um, it's going to be really fun. You know, I, I love... What do I, what do I always get a Teaspoon? I am, I'm pretty basic, but... Um, oh, it's the Grapefruit Garden. That's what I'll be getting with my discount code, Grapefruit Garden. Um, they have tons of other great stuff. Don't worry if you're not a if you're not a grapefruit or a garden fan. Uh, but all proceeds raised for this event uh, from October 21st, so starting today through the end of the month and the end of spooky season, uh, if you go to collabsf.org/donate and make any donation to Collab, it's gonna go towards Oakland Bloom. And Oakland Bloom, uh, a really great organization. Uh, I've been supporting them and rooting for them for, for a long time now. And I got a chance to, to sit down and meet more of the staff um, so that you get to hear more about all the great work that they're doing. Hi, I'm Diana Wu, based in Oakland, California, and I'm a board member of Oakland Bloom. Um, what's up, everyone? My name is Janabi Pareja. I'm one of the co-directors for Oakland Bloom. I got to speak to both Diana and Janabi about what's keeping them invested in this really important work. 
I've been involved in different organizing work in Oakland over the years. And I think what really attracted me to Oakland Bloom was really both reconnecting with work specifically focusing on um, like immigrant communities as a second generation um, person myself. And then also, I think what really kept me has really been a just like building with really passionate, amazing people who are part of Oakland Bloom, but also how it really thinks about the structures of, you know, how do we actually, if we're talking about pathways to ownership, what are the shifts that are required to really make that a possibility um, for people, especially who are poor working class immigrants and refugees? Yeah, I think I got involved with Oakland Bloom not too long ago, so it's fairly new. Um, but I think connecting and reimagining what a society could look like, Oakland Bloom is like a beacon to want to make that change. Um, when you really think about, um, as an immigrant, I grew, I grew up in the Philippines, I was born in the Philippines, um, and thinking about my grandparents and my parents were all cooks. We cook at markets, um, the wet markets in the Philippines. Um, but what really gravitated me towards Oakland Bloom was that like, how can you reimagine as someone who might not have a typical profession, no resume, and what does it mean for them to, as a pathways to ownership and to work professionally here? Um, some of those things that people might think about as like their skill sets, quote unquote, may not necessarily translate to uh, a resume if it was to look for somewhere else, but Oakland Bloom kind of gives that particular picture of what that can actually look like and fostering that, um, that chant. If you're hearing Janabi's echo in his voice, that's because He's coming to us from the exciting new co-op that Oakland Bloom is about to open. We got to chat a little bit about Oakland Bloom as an organization, their, their mission, how they've been responding to the pandemic, and what the future of the org is looking like. Hint, pretty bright. Oakland Bloom is a diaspora-led, immigrant, um, immigrant diaspora-led organization that's really focusing on advancing economic equity for poor and working class immigrant and refugee chefs who want to start their own businesses. And so we do that through, there's an incubator program um, that really supports the visions and of chefs themselves for their businesses and for their food and acknowledging to that like, a lot of people come with so much talent and experience already in cooking. And so it's really, are we creating opportunities and kind of working through navigating the different standards, et cetera. Um, alongside that, there's some case management support, just helping people navigate needs that arise. And um, as we continue with that commitment of, you know, forging different pathways and really focusing on economic equity, we're also looking at establishing cooperative kitchens. Um, and yeah, I'd say there's like a lot of different pieces of work that really kind of fall within that vision. Yeah, what I, what I love about Oakland Bloom is you know, how, how willing you guys are to take what, what I think like the entire nation has really been wrestling with for a while of how do we handle like those that are, you know, the least of these and coming in and being able to support our, our immigrant and refugee friends that are coming into, into the U.S. and being able to not just say, okay, great, like here you go, um, but to take the skill sets that they already have and to develop them um, and to, um, something that is not just going to last for for a month or a year and so supporting them through understanding how setting up a small business works and then now creating the space which i would love to hear more about in a second 
Um, with this year and obviously everyone's different responses to the pandemic, how has Oakland Bloom uh, been responding and what uh, new uh, directions are y'all moving into? Um, so initially when like COVID-19 and shelter in place really was set in place in Oakland, I'd say the very first response we did was really checking in with the chefs in our network to see like what are the needs that are coming up? How do we connect people to apply for different things or access different funds that they might be eligible for, which is really, you know, varies a lot based on immigration status. Um, and so that was one thing. And the second thing that we started to do that has evolved over time was really connect the chefs with mutual aid networks. So initially the chefs um, that we worked with, we connected to access to different food or hygiene supplies through all of these grassroots um, like mutual aid work that was emerging. And then over time, that collaboration and relationship has evolved where we now have the Pay It Forward program where we fund chefs to prepare meals that then also connect to um, that same mutual aid network's distribution work to curbside encampments across North and West Oakland. And that's been ongoing monthly since May. Yeah, I think building off of what Diana was talking about, was that um, we saw firsthand what it meant when this pandemic hit the community, especially poor and working class communities, where folks, we've seen the highest amount of unemployment happens or even access to basic needs um, to live. Um, and I think in addition to like even just providing uh, an, uh, an opportunity to be able to do dual things, such as like feeding um, houseless and homeless like folks, um, but also creating an opportunity for chefs who got laid off or didn't have that opportunity like to work, but also to utilize their skills um, and learning on at the same time in terms of um, what building a business in this space could look like. And now, transitioning that into like what does it mean to open up a cooperative like a worker-owned cooperative is that inherently um the restaurant business um can be very exploitive um so how do you reimagine in a space that like when a pandemic does happen or with situations like this does happen that the workers are taken care of um we've seen that workers are are dispensable um in matters like this but a worker owned or this model is really thinking about like where does the decision lies um and where does like um though yeah those key decisions lies in terms of like workers and not just like owners right um and rethinking about what a pathways to ownership could really look like how do workers structure uh standard operating procedures of a restaurant how does workers decide um, what to cut or what to do, what to build, um, what to make, uh, um, and giving that particular key decisions to the workers themselves and not just, let's say, being connected to um, loans or being connected to um, folks who has capital. Um, and I think really reimagining, because I think um, restaurants right now are hurting. Um, they're hurting in a way that like they're even having a hard time to stay afloat. Um, and people who um, usually gets the brunt of that um, um, instance are, are workers. Um, so I think um, for us as Oakland Bloom, really kind of reimagining what that would look like um, for us to partner up with different organizations to building this work cooperative, creating a space that is accessible for folks in the community. And also questioning about like, if what does it mean for us to open an establishment in a place that is, you know, quote unquote, um, 
folks in the community that's currently live that. Um, what does it mean for us to build an establishment in Old Oakland or in Chinatown? Um, so being able to see what um, access that we want to be able to give to the community, whether if it's a, a commissary usage for either free or reduced rate, or for newly incoming chefs that may not necessarily know um, any programs or may just need a place for a, a space, but they can operate pop-ups over here. Um, and for them, for folks to even imagine, like, could I actually be able to own a place or own a restaurant and work with people collectively? And what does that look like? That is um, not just like um, internalizing your own particular just like um, wealth or resources, but redistribution, redistribution of like resources and, um, and access to things. So. Janabi, I love just hearing about the, the future vision for, for this co-op and as y'all are getting ready to, to open up um, in these next couple of weeks and months. Um, for you, just as a chef and, and prepping, prepping the space and seeing it physically a way before, you know, all of us are, um, could you just describe for me like your, your ideal day of like coming in once the space is finally open and like what that space looks like to you? Yeah, I think about a space um, and knowing that this restaurant itself isn't just our restaurant, but it's the community's restaurant. The restaurant itself doesn't have to be open 24-7. What does it mean when we have our own house menu, but the time that we're not open, be able to be accessed for folks who, let's just say, is starting out their own business and wants to do a pop-up. Right. And with Oakland Bloom itself, like I think about um, those chefs that um, have already had a well-established business elsewhere in a different country, but just had didn't have the capital to do so. Um, we also hoping to serve this as like a training program for things. And then in addition to that, I think you know with you know with AB six two six or this a recent push in the media that we're thinking about like you know folks are actually want to cook at home and be able to sell. What does it mean for folks to be able to have access to a commercial kitchen to be able to um, share? their um, their talents um, and their um, talents to everyone for them for folks to be able to share so yeah just just blown away by all the work that y'all are doing just very tangible work um, of moving toward economic mobility and equity um, especially for 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 BIPOC folks for unhoused folks just really caring and and living in the community that you're serving I really appreciate um, just hearing all of that it's really exciting um, can we get some updates on the space or even get a tour of what it looks like right now? Yeah, um, the space is about 80% um, or maybe like maybe 90% done. We're having our next couple of weeks to do um, inspection. Um, I'll see you the place. Um, let me show you around, but mind, please, please, please keep in mind that there's a bunch of boxes here um, that needs to be unpacked. Um, and those are all like uh, um, chairs, tables and such, but um, I'll bring the camera around and so hopefully that um, you all can see. Yeah, I'm sure everyone has a great imagination. We can see what's gonna look like with the tables and chairs. Um, we got the pop-ups going, um, people just enjoying each other's company and eating some, some really good food. Interrupting myself to say that if you wanna see uh, more of that tour, you can make sure to tune into Collapse Grample for that. I know that you've both had chances to meet and uh, get to know a lot of the chefs at Oakland Bloom. Um, what's just one of the one of the foods that just always kind of makes you savor a little bit that you're really, really constantly craving? 
I think um, one of the chefs we work with makes homemade injera and different, um, yeah, it's like different like Eritrean foods. And I, I personally love injera and also just like the homemade, um, like it's like different kinds that I feel like I don't see actually out in restaurants here. And so I, that's something that is definitely crave worthy for me. I like two, and so I'm gonna cheat. So I want I've I've heard uh, I've only heard this through the grapevine about Pawa's great um, samosa. I've never had it before, but heard good things it's about it. Um, <laughs> good to know, Josh. And then the second one is that I've, which I've had um, was Sanella's um, um, kebabs, uh, um, chicken skewers. Um, that she's actually gonna have a pop up this week. Um, that I ordered a bunch of plates, and. Um, looks good in pictures, but I bet you'll look good in my stomach, so. <laughs> Either way, doesn't matter. Um, yeah, I've, I've had the privilege to be able to have um, some Oakland Bloom food myself, including those magical samosas. And um, I think one of my takeaways whenever um, I get to hang out um, with you guys is just that sense of home, um, whether it's just in a backyard, in a small kitchen, or that industrial size kitchen y'all are gonna get to work out of in a couple weeks. Um, just for, for folks that are listening um, and are thinking about donating, um, what, are, what are they donating to? They're, like, there's so much um, to the work that you guys are doing. And so what's, I don't know, what's like the 30 second summary to uh, what someone's dollar dollars are going towards? If the current systems right now is not working, help us kind of reimagine what it could be and what it could look like um, for us to be able to redistribute wealth and resources through the community that is not just ours, but for the people. Beautiful. Couldn't say it better myself. Um, Janabi, Diana, thank you um, for your time and for your food. Excited to, to check it all out in a couple of weeks. Thanks so much. Thanks for having us. And now let's get to know one of the performers from Collab Scramble to support Oakland Bloom. He's an extremely talented singer songwriter from Hawaii whose first single, How High, absolutely blew up in Hawaii, crossed over to Top 40 Radio. His newest single, Where Did Summer Go, is wherever you stream music. This interview went into some really fun and honestly unexpected directions. Finding home talking about cooking and the state of Asian American music. I hope you enjoyed listening as much as I enjoyed connecting with him. Let's go back where we came from. Here's my interview with Damn Boy. You just have a really interesting history. Um, I know that you were born in Hawaii and started off there. And then there's multiple, there's multiple trips through the childhood, um, living uh, in, in Houston and Atlanta and, and Vietnam. And could you just like walk us through, through that timeline of what childhood was like and all the different places um, you yeah. found parts of your, your early life? Yeah, I mean, uh, growing up as a kid in Hawaii, was, it was very fun. A lot of outdoors. I mean, a lot of video games too, but like a lot of outdoors, you know, playing. Uh, but I left when I was seven and I lived in Houston. Uh, it was kind of crazy because we me and my uh, brothers we lived with my uncle and he lived in like a <laughs> he lived in a cult <laughs> he lived in a and cult he lived in a cult yeah okay. it was it was a buddhist cult and um i say cult because it was, it's not it's not your typical buddhist thing going on it was different um and i didn't realize it till later when i was older um but i lived in houston for about 
almost a year and then uh we had moved with uh my father to vietnam for about five years um yeah i mean vietnam's different i had to i was homeschooled for about a year so i could like go to school because you know i could speak but like you know i can't read science and geometry and all those things right. in Vietnamese, so. Uh, but what, the crazy thing is when I went to school, like third grade, I was learning like geometry, <laughs> like, you know, they do it, it. School is more advanced in Asia, I feel like. Um, no, Asians do not play around when it comes yeah. to education. I, yeah. I hate it. I, I love school in Vietnam. I went to like a private school, but like I hated it because it's just like so hard, so hard. But, um, you know, living in Vietnam is pretty interesting. I feel like my upbringing with music living in Vietnam was so different because we had MTV, but MTV only came on, I think, Friday and Saturday for an hour. So like, you know, and this was like, you know, internet was like, you know, we didn't have like Facebook, MySpace, all that stuff when I was a little younger, but like, so it was interesting finding American music and uh, getting into music. So, you know, as a lot of people know, Vietnam or like Asia, we have a lot of bootleg CDs and all that stuff. So. That was like really awesome. Somehow. Yep. I, I got all my CDs and video games from PS1 and for like hella cheap. Um, but, you know, I think growing up, I didn't really care for like Vietnamese music. I, I, I only knew like a few artists and that was pretty cool. But overall, like I was just so American, like because I wasn't in America. I was just like, I need American music, American right. music. Um, but then moving back to America. Um, so I, I came back to Hawaii for a little bit. And I think this was like early 2000s i just remember coming back and hearing lincoln park i was like what is this this is amazing you know and this was like the first album and i was like dude this is amazing and um you know stayed in hawaii for i think for a summer and then i'd moved to atlanta with my mother for like two years and that's another change too because like <clears throat> a lot of hip-hop that i was learning especially from the south it's like a little different so yeah a lot of hip-hop you know that's all atlanta and georgia so you know Ludacris was like one of my favorite rappers growing up you know outcast and stuff so definitely did shape me and i think that part of my life too a lot of jazz was coming into my life for some reason a lot of like weird like not weird but like world kind of music african brazilian uh but after atlanta for two years i went back to hawaii and i i think it was like eighth grade I started playing guitar and then from there it was history. I just listened to so many different types of music, trying to learn all the different styles and stuff. Um, yeah. 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 No, I mean, there's, there's already just like a whole lot there. Um, I want to just take it back to just childhood in general and growing up in a bunch of different types of, of places and communities. Yeah. Um, obviously there's, there's some spots where, you know, like being in Houston and Atlanta and, and getting like, southern hip-hop and you know, like beyonce and like everyone like coming out of there right and and yeah. hawaii and that kind of reggae island sound that that yeah. i love and and you know i'm sure there's stuff going down to vietnam too um mm -hmm. i am not as versed in like the vietnamese music scene i'm sure you could tell me just a little bit but um what was that like for you to just grow up without like a sense of of constant place and kind of always being in a different spot yeah it you know like I feel like as a kid, you don't really notice it, but like, I think yeah. I noticed it when I moved back <clears throat> from Atlanta to, to Hawaii. I mean, first off, like, you know, Hawaii to Vietnam, that's already like, what the hell? 
culture shock, language yeah. different. And then going to Atlanta where everyone has a Southern accent. And then I'm like, what? What would you say? And then like after two years of living there, I started having a Southern accent. But then guess what? I have to move back to Hawaii. And, and then all the kids in school were like speaking that. pigeon. <laughs> They're speaking pigeon. I was like, what? <laughs> like what? Yeah, it's just like, yeah, it's a, it's, it's definitely a culture shock. Um, I think moving so much, I did have like, I don't say identity crisis or identity issue or something like that, but like, you know, a self of like belonging to something. I probably didn't have that. It was probably a good and a bad thing though. Cause like a good thing is because, you know, I'm so used to moving and experiencing new things that I'm, I'm okay with new things. I'm okay with change. I'm okay with, you know what I'm saying? Where other yeah. people might like not like that. So when it comes to food, music and just different cultures, I'm, I love it. I love new, new things. Um, but I guess, you know, me, me being Vietnamese, moving, moving around so much. Well, I'm Vietnamese French, but uh, you know, I'm, I'm more Vietnamese because my family is all that, but right. I didn't really have a sense of that, even if I lived in Vietnam per se, but you know, um, I guess until now I'm beginning to understand what it means to be like Vietnamese American more so, you know? And, and through what, what have there been like certain events certain people that have gotten you yeah i mean definitely um uh my new girlfriend she's with me so like she's helped me like understand because she has her own experience you know and so it's it's nice to see somebody my age you know being that close to me to understand what their experience is um you know also like i haven't really lived with my mom a lot so like now that i'm with her i get to like to hear her stories you know back in the day like in vietnam we're like moving to hawaii when she was young and it's kind of crazy you know, I guess recently and just, you know, everyone's kind of cooped up with, you yeah. know, whoever they've been with lately. And so with, with you and your mom, how do you feel like that relationship is, has changed um, even from just the beginning and growing up in multiple places with her to where y'all are now? I mean, it, it's nice, you know, um, I, I usually only see my mom like every couple of years and then now I'm with her like you know, for a while since March. So it's been nice. It's been nice getting to like know her more and stuff. Um, I mean, you know, again, we're all cooped up at home. So sometimes there's one of those arguments or whatever, but no, I feel it. Yeah. <laughs> Not know. the only one. Yeah. Um, but, and, um, and you get her cooking too. So, I know. you know, I can't complain. Like, I, like if we argue, I still love you though. <laughs> you know what I mean? But, um, yeah, it's nice. Um, you cook yourself, right? As, and have you been yeah, able I, to... I mean, I cook. Yeah. I mean, my mom cooks a lot, so, um, yeah i'm trying to be vegan as well so it's kind of been hard. okay is that like a new thing uh it's it's been you know it's been a past couple of years um it's i don't say it's hard for me but it's because she cooks so it's like you know i don't want to waste your food it's like you already cook yeah um so uh we do have a garden in the backyard so we try to utilize that a lot but it's just it's like health and just you know just good for the world i think if people are vegan to be honest so and I mean, just, you know, kind of, kind of looking outside. I mean, at least in the Bay, we have, we have yeah. orange skies and yeah. we used to not have any seasons. And now we have, we have one fire. Um, so yeah. Yeah. we like, we're, we're seeing it for real over here. <laughs> um, but kind of moving back to, to just with you and you and music, uh, yeah. you, you mentioned, you know, like in Vietnam and, you know, just snagging, snagging bootlegs and whatever you could listen to or find on, on MTV and stuff. Mm -hmm. Uh, but in moving around to other other spots and, you know, hearing maybe, you know, just whatever is native to if it's if you're in Houston or Hawaii. But how, what, what were some of the other ways that you that you got exposed to, to music where, where your parents 
putting on stuff, friends. How did that yeah, all go I mean, down? You know, definitely my parents. My parents used to listen to a lot of like oldies, you know, like DGs and like the Carpenters was a big one in my house. So like I've always listened to that kind of music and, you know, back in the day stuff. Um, man, it's it's so funny. I feel like, you know, our generation <clears throat> and how we like listen to music and what is considered music too, because like I feel like, you know, we love video game music, you know, like video game music is not really talked about. Like it is a big influence for me, especially anime music, like it's everywhere. Like, you know, um, I think in high school, I would just listen to the weirdest, like, you know, that's when like downloading and all that stuff. So like I was downloading just video game music, a lot of metal, a lot of, a lot of like, you know, just Brazilians, just everywhere. Like, I don't know. Just the uh, influence of LimeWire. No. Yeah, it's just, it's definitely everywhere. Like, my influ my influences are everywhere. It's just, I can't really say. It's hardest. I mean, I do have my favorite groups and stuff that I, like, you know. Uh, but, like, it's just hard, you know, to say what, like, what is the biggest influence for me, to be honest. Yeah. No, I mean, we had, a, we had someone on the podcast earlier this year who was just sharing about how they really struggled with trying to understand that Asian part of their identity. And it was, for them, just, like, getting into, into K-pop and anime and stuff where yeah. they could kind of get in touch with more their, with that um and i guess for you like you actually went back and were in vietnam for a while yeah. um thinking about now and you know as as you are creating your own sound i, I feel like it's it's kind of hard to lock down what what asian music is music let is. alone like asian american stuff right like mm. with if you look for like music for like black folks and brown folks um, there's, there's music that comes out of, of struggle, um, yeah. and of slavery and colonization and stuff like that. And I don't know, like when you think about Asian music, like there's, there's K-pop and stuff, and even that's inspired by like Western stuff. And I, like, I don't know if I could define like what Asian music what is. is. I'm just I mean, wondering if you have any perspective on that kind of being and seeing multiple cultures and stuff like that. Yeah. I mean, I, I can only speak for being Vietnamese, you know, I can't, yeah. I don't know Chinese and I mean, you know, to be honest, I know a lot of Japanese culture just just because my experience in life, but like it's for Vietnamese. Yeah, like stuff late at night, right? Yeah, just just for like being Vietnamese, there is a lot of, there is Vietnamese music. Like we have a genre called Gai Lung, which is like kind of soap opera-ish. And like, it's basically someone telling a story. It's very distinct. It sounds like <laughs> whiny, crying, yodeling. <laughs> Uh, but it is definitely it's it's usually somebody speaking about like lost love the war certain time in the the seasons um that is a very vietnamese genre um i think that is not really influenced by western culture but yeah i feel like you know with america and western culture it did shift things um you know but yeah that's as far as being vietnamese that is that is definitely a vietnamese genre but, you know, I think even if you listen to K-pop and J-pop, J-rock, the style of writing is so much different. The style of, like, just the melodies and, like, you know, the, the rhythms. It's, I mean, it's becoming the same slowly because the world is all, you know, becoming one pop. Everyone's like, just kind of listening to everything now, which is great. Yeah. But if you do listen to a lot of, like, I, I'd say Japanese music still has the same. K-pop is kind of, like, becoming more westernized, Americanized because... You know, we are the trendsetters, I guess, of what's the new thing. But like, if you listen to J-pop and J-rock, they've like not changed. They they have their own style still, like, and their melodies and like, 
still somewhat Japanese. I, I, you know, it's crazy. Like when I listen to like Utada Hikaru or like um, a big group that I like in Japan, the Pillows. Yeah. Like during grade, it's still very Japanese and nothing sounds like it, you know? Um, it's very, yeah. I think um, I was talking to somebody about this, but like, you know, we have K-pop and J-rock and all those big genres that are like slowly dominating more in the American charts now. So it, and it's dope because you know they're Asian, but like, I think it's it's a lot harder for Asian Americans now to like come up because we're also going against these artists. But then boom, now there's another industry which is Korea K-pop dominating. So it's like I feel like you know fans that are not Asian, I guess, or you know, it's harder for them to get an understanding of what I guess an Asian American artist is. Yeah, you know what I'm saying? No, I think it's just that whole process of with our identities too, right? Like I think Asians, we still have the most trouble really identifying and defining like who we are and like what what kind of stuff we're trying to do. And I I think like, you're right. Like there are just so much to our cultural heritage that we're still trying to like unpack and figure out and getting back to like hearing those sounds. Yeah. Um, But it's just like identifying and figuring out that's the hard part. So uh, yeah, that's That's true. I mean, sure. But at the end of the day, we're American too, right? So like, so like, I think, you know, I think most of us don't, I mean, we are Asian, but like, we're American and we're like kind of the same, like, you know, black, white, Mexican, whatever. Like we all grew up on the same cartoons and same music to some degree. Most, you know what I mean? Yeah. Like we're American, but like, you know, you are right. Like how do we find your identity through growing up so strongly as an American? Um, Yeah. It's everyone has a different journey. You can't, you know, can't really pinpoint it, but. I think it's it's slowly changing. You know, we have more Asian American artists that are like making it bigger, but I don't know what that shift's going to be like, to be honest. Yeah, and I I don't I don't think anyone really does. I definitely don't. I think that's something we'll all be you know continuing to learn, and you'll like personally get to see that firsthand yeah. as you keep moving in your career. I guess my question too is, um, yeah, even if it does like when it does happen, how does how does one differentiate an American Asian like an Asian American artist? So let's say a K-pop artist. Do you identify differently or should you or should you not? You know what I'm saying? Yeah, I mean, that's that's also something, you know, will be, and I think like the black community has definitely been trying to figure that out lately, yeah. um, especially as more like African sounds and like Burna Boy and stuff are coming up. Yeah, he's so, amazing. you know, I'm sure, you know, we're going to get that point that, to that point too. Um, yeah. The industry is definitely becoming more open, but like it's, it's, it's in a Wild West moment now. Like, everything goes like there's no rules now it's crazy um i'm curious though just moving to you know more of your your work and your music uh i know that you've been able to also write for for other artists and Mm -hmm. i'm curious about how that's just influenced the stuff that that you've been writing lately um and just learning to to work with other other voices and stuff like that and be in that process yeah you know i think the, the benefit of like i guess well not benefit my talent because I listen to so much music, um, I just I think I have like a knack for like hearing somebody's thing and then knowing what to do with it or like a song to know how to pitch. Because you know, writing for other people is not easy. You have to know what they sound like, where they can sing, what's their comfort zone, style, and all those things. So like, um, it it makes you look at your own things too, like your own music, and like look at yourself and see what you can do. And plus, I'm I'm always getting influenced by that, you know, other music, writing for other people. So um 
yeah, it's 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 dope. I think collabing and writing for other people is definitely dope. You know, especially being in this time, it's like, with you know, it's just more any kind of know. interaction. Yeah, especially creative. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, so, I I know that part of that process is really being able to lock into like what sound they're going for and like also kind of evolving along with them. And so for you, how how would you say like your music has really changed and evolved over, over your career and kind of where we are now in this where did summer go phase now, where would you say your sound is at? Because there's, there's like your sound. And then in another way, it's always like constantly changing. Right. Especially with just, and especially you with all of your different influences and, like here's yeah. a little 1975 here, a little Kanye here, right? Yeah. Dude, like it's so hard for me to like, I, I wouldn't say like I do have a sound, but it's hard for me to like stick on one. So from How High, I released How High in 2018. And that was like my first song as Damn Boy, right? And that did really well in Hawaii. And so it did so and well that went, I had- like, top 40 big. Yeah, I hit 94 on the billboard, which is insane. But, you know- what I've learned with my management last year, it's like, I do have to stick with something, right? So, you know, How High is a reggae pop song with trap kind of like influences. And so I love reggae. It's just not a genre that I just want to do it heavy. Right. You know, as, as you can see with my other songs that I released. So, so the theme of like what I'm working on and the things I've been releasing on is very like Hawaii, I guess, influence. Like it's very beach influence. A lot of like metaphors of the ocean and water and like, you know, relationships with, with someone. So uh, I am, I have been working on a project for like the past two years now, I guess, uh, called Her Summer. And uh, it's basically about, about a relationship you have with somebody during the summer, good or bad, breakup or not. Um, so that's the underlying theme of everything I'm doing. Um, as far as like genre though, like, you know, I do have songs that are heavy and like stuff that I don't know when it'll come out, but like, Right now, it's a lot of acoustic-based songs, um, pop, hip-hop, alternative, indie influence right now. Um, yeah, I'm, I mean, I think for the project, I'm sitting on like like 50 songs or more, like just, you know, that's the hard part is like skimming the fat to like, yeah. what do I want and, you know. Like what is cream of the crap here? Yeah, yeah. I mean, if I could, I'd just release all of them. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, can't do that. Um, but yeah, like I already have the idea for the next one. So this one is called First Summer and the next project that I want to release is called uh, Heartbreak in Paradise, which is like more darker, which is the music. I love a lot of dark music. So like a lot of heavier, darker, aggressive, more sounds. Yeah, I mean, you um, you had shared with me just some of the artists that have really like affected and influenced you. And, you know, yeah. I think that that new project, definitely hearing more of like that, that emo side, alternative side, yeah. um, kind of bringing that in. Um, but I guess to, to clear up my question a little bit, because I think especially now, like artists are, are going kind of crazy with genre in a really good way. And like, we're going to go like a little country here and let's move a little bit more in like a rock direction, like, you know, like. Beyonce will have like here's a country song and the rest is going to be like R&B and Kendrick is like apparently working on a rock album right now and so wait what is he really that apparent well I mean things are always changing in 2020 you never yeah, know at least he was before COVID went down but but for you um yeah. even though there's going to be just a variety of of genres that you are influenced and inspired by yeah what do you think are some of the 
like the cornerstones for you in your writing that you feel have defined a lot of your music so far? Like, I think one big thing is just the guitar focus and how that's just always a starting point for you. Have there been some things or, or common, I don't know, themes you've seen in your, in your music? writing? Yeah. I, I read a lot about like heartbreak, I guess. Um, <laughs> um, I don't know. I, I guess like sound wise, my voice, I feel like is little distinct, you know, it, it's like, if you hear my voice, like, oh, that's damn boy. Yeah. Um, I try not to like follow and copy trends. You know, I know it's a lot of people are like having like a lot of hip hop flows and like cadences in their writing. I do it when I do it, but like, I don't forcefully do it, you know, not to like shit on anyone. I just feel like it's very saturated right now with that um, because that's just the times we live in. As long as it sounds good to them, catchy, good beat or whatever, then they'll like it, you know? So and make and them I feel something. Yeah. And I, and you know, I, I love pop music. I, I love Bozzy. I love Zayn Malik. I love One Direction. I love, you know, I mean, nothing against those genres, but for me, like, I think albums that stand the test of time for me or like Radiohead, The Killers, Kings of Leon, The Cure, you know, very eccentric, like, like um, The Pimple Butterfly. That album is a classic when it came out, you know what I'm saying, like for Kendrick. So like, I think you have to have a pop popular single to kind of make it like something that's like, oh, that's big. But I think as a project, I don't make music for singles. I just, if it becomes a single, it becomes a single. I make it, I make the music as like a movie. It's like a, like a project, right? Her Summer is my thing right now. So yeah, everything that I'm writing is kind of focused in this underlying movie theme script. So um, as of now, it's guitars. It's a lot of acoustic guitars. Um, my electric guitar is in LA right now. My friend has it. So just have taking my care of your guitar. baby. Yeah. Right now, that's the only thing I have is my acoustic. Um, I've been producing a lot more. So um, actually, where did Summer go? I produced most of it. So um, definitely finding my sound in production, you know. Um, but yeah, you are right. A lot of things are combining music. There's, it's becoming genreless. I sometimes find it a good thing and a bad thing. A good thing is music is becoming genreless. Like there's no boundaries. Bad thing is not a lot of people are doing their research and True. just hearing hearing one thing and like, oh, I like that. But like disregarding the histories and disregarding a lot of things that made one genre progress to this one thing, you know. So I don't know. Yeah, I mean, speaking for you and like this this latest track, um, I can definitely hear a lot of there's definitely a lot of rock influence and yeah. kind of has that summer, a little bit of like some island vibes and there's kind of like a <clears throat> I don't know, like a psychedelic kind of thing going on. Like I really like um a lot of stuff Bacon's been doing with with Kendrick and with Rich Brian mm. and stuff. But yeah. um what were some of those influences for you in, in this new track? Yeah, definitely. Um definitely the beat is very forward, right? It's kind of driven. So like that rock kind of like driven focused. Um, yeah, a lot of like psychedelic Tame Impala, like the Eagles too, you know, like yeah. very acoustic kind of Fleetwood Mackie vibes, like, you know, um, was something I was going for. Even I just definitely like a got, tinge of Beach Boys too, which is true like the, with the harmonies. Yeah. Just, yeah. Um, I got Sean Mendes not too long ago, like, like reference. I could see that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I, I guess so. Cause I guess my voice is always going to be like poppy, you know, like I have like, just like a pop style singing voice. So yeah, I think that's never going to change, but yeah, I think those, those influences, um, it's different from my other stuff. Cause the other stuff was very like kind of trap beady, kind of modern trap hip hop, you know? Right. While this one was like, <laughs> so it's like more forward. Um, 
probably hear more stuff like where did summer go to be honest yeah it's hard that to say I have, me. I have so much stuff it's just insane yeah you know it's like channeling I, all of it yeah it, it, i think quarantine was dope because like i wrote a lot of stuff but like i'm supposed to put a project like an ep out but like i i, I just me and my team didn't think it was the right time just so much things going on you yeah. know like social movements pandemic voting is coming up like yeah no there's too much stuff going on so we were like let's put on you know just release singles and just put it on hold and then release a project uh next year i feel yeah. like that kind of fits the vibe of this year of like people needing little bits of joy and you know getting yeah. that from you every you know every couple of weeks every couple of months or whatever yeah. Um, I would love to talk with you for hours about like music history and stuff. And, you know, you, yeah. you listen to so much stuff, but I wanted to close out by, um, you know, going back to, to collab scramble. It's happening this yeah. weekend mm -hmm. and um, Oakland bloom. It's a great cause. Um, mm -hmm. And I know that you've, you've cooked a lot yourself and I'm curious for you of just any relationship that you've, that you found with, with cooking and music um, both just like big picture stuff, right? Of like creativity and artistry, but also like, you know, working with, with your anxiety and helping you kind of work out stuff. Yeah. How the two been for you, especially lately. I mean, cooking and music to me is synonymous. Like I've cooked in like fine dining restaurants. Like I've worked with like Iron Chef Morimoto and like some big chefs, you know? So um, it, it's a form of creativity at the end of the day. And, you know, a lot of, a lot of chefs will tell you like, you know, you can, you can be this chef and that chef, but at the end of the day, you always come back to what you've grown up to, you know, whether it's TV dinners or Vietnamese food or whatever. So it's kind of like music too. It's like, they're both who, they're an extension of who you are. So I think with this quarantine and stuff, it's really allowed me to like hone in who I am, you know, a lot of reflection time, a lot of time for me to just write on my own, produce on my own, not care about like what's on the radio what's this because there was a time um because i was on the radio and there was a time like what's the next single maybe it should yeah, be like yeah. this and like i'm like at the end of the day you know you you can plan smartly but like you're an artist release what you want to release get the most exposure you can for a song and that's all you can do at the end of the day you know um i you know i'm still independent you know um i'm not signed to anything yet so i think the most of the, thing to do as an independent artist is to do whatever you want smartly and so that way when you do get signed or you do get recognized for something you did it with open arms instead of like kind of faking it to one thing and now that's the game you got to play because you right. came in like that you know what i'm saying so yeah. i mean that's the only thing you know and i feel like the newer generation they they don't care anymore which is the, the dope thing you know they don't really care so they're doing whatever they want that's why i think things are becoming genreless yeah, and especially now where everyone is just kind of listening to whatever people are talking about. There's just, there's a lot. And so for yeah. you um, to be able to find, you know, different respites of, of creativity and understanding identity, um, just like being with your partner and, and yeah. writing and having all this time and all this space. Um, I don't know, it just makes it really psyched to see what's what's coming up next as we're finishing up this first project and starting to think about, you know, what's after. Um, to close out, I, I know you're, and correct me if I'm wrong, um, mm -hmm. your face tattoo, Japanese, <laughs> yeah. death to rebirth, yeah? Yeah. yeah. Um, I, I, I've heard you talk about the tattoo before, but 
especially this year. Everything is crazy, but yeah. that idea of death to rebirth, what, is, what does that mean to you in this moment? Yeah, I think for this year, um, I think it's been a roller coaster ride for everyone. But for me, like, it's definitely a rebirth for me because I had to, I'm not going to lie, like, you know, LA makes people change as far as like yeah, lifestyle. Right. Like, you know, I was drinking, a, like, every night I was drinking and uh, just not really taking care of my health and just drinking anxiety. They don't go hand in hand. um just not being on anything any any bad substances and just like going clean really reflecting myself and like yeah it's it's a nice change um i'm excited for next year i mean i still have some things planned this year like releases with other people which i I rarely do yeah so i'm excited for that but yeah definitely i did feel like i was reborn this year and um yeah just moving forward but that first step i guess being collapse scramble didn't want to turn it back that way but you know oh yeah for sure. but um we'll collapse see you this scramble. weekend for collapse scramble yeah. um thanks so much for making time i i have like you know hordes of questions we're gonna have to save for another time but but thanks dan boy this is fun thanks man thank you guys that's it for us today again where did summer go is wherever you stream music and it's playing us out right now Make sure to follow at Music on Facebook, Twitter, Insta. And also, I'm going to keep egging you on to donate to Oakland Bloom. Again, that's collabsf.org slash donate. Anything through October 31st goes towards that amazing org. And tune in to watch Damn Boy and a menagerie of other performers at Collapse Scramble this weekend, Saturday, October 24th, twitch.tv slash collabsf. Starting at 1 p.m. as you work, relax, eat, whatever you got planned for this weekend, make sure to join us. And of course, if you have a story in your circle of friends or community that explores how family, cultural, and personal histories are shaping artistry and identity, if you're exploring how you are going back where you came from, make sure to send questions, comments, and episode ideas our way to goldandgreat at collaboration.org. And of course, collaboration is spelled with a K. This episode was mixed and edited by me. Our associate producer is Michelle Abiera. Our supervising producer is Long Vo. And our executive producer is Josh Coe. Our beautiful theme song was composed by Robert Guh. Learn more about his work at bobbygemusic.com. I'm Josh Coe. We'll see you soon with more stories of the Golden Grey. Thanks for listening. Where does summer go?